Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist and a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, Island Games athlete, run lift for open strength field. Cool. An all-around nice guy, you got to say. Yeah, yeah. This has become like your, uh, your usual. <laughs> all-around nice guy, yeah. Um, we're going to start with a little bit of news today, and then uh, we're going to get to the topic uh, which is um, sort of the essence, I think, of physical culture. Uh, what has technology done to the sports, and how can you try to stay positive and address it, things like that. But first, um, I saw a bit of news. This is about a, a week old. This is uh, late June. Strength and Muscle Sport News. And uh, let's see here. It's called Getting Real. Fast food companies give their products the natural look. I think this is insidious, but... Um, this is from the Associated Press. Candace Choi uh, wrote it. This is from healthland.time.com. I probably came across this through Twitter. Uh, but it says, Perfecting the art of imperfection. When stretching out the dough for its premium artisan pizzas, Domino's workers are now instructed not to worry about making the rectangles too perfect. It says, Also, uh, McDonald's egg McMuffins for their new egg white delight have a loose shape rather than the round, processed-looking discs of the original Egg McMuffin. And Kraft took uh, more than two years to develop a process to make their turkey lunch meat look like uneven slabs for their carving <laughs> carving board line of products. So it says, let's see, Americans are starting to turn up their noses at overly processed foods. But I think what's kind of creepy about a lot of this is that this is they're just as processed. They're just yep. made to look like they're not with coloring yeah, I, and cut the cut, you know. Um, they went through a two-year process to make it look unprocessed. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is marketing at work, you know, food marketing. I used to have an old uh, nutrition prof who said presentation is everything. But Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm seeing it definitely and with my marketing promotions business. Everybody's like going, even the colors they're choosing now, changing logos and going to greens and, and browns and... You know, everybody's green. Yes. Now I noticed Walmart a few years ago seemed to be like white and sort of flashy red and blue, and now it's like all the stores are tan. You know, they're trying to tone it down. I don't be more natural or professional yep. or something. Um, let's see what it says here. It says there's no way to measure exactly how much food marketers are investing to make their products look more natural or more fresh. See, that's the, what bothers me about this. Look more natural. Yeah. The overall packaged food industry in North America grew 14 percent over the last five years, uh, to $392.5 billion, um, which is a bit faster than even fast food. Uh, it says food manufacturers are um, adapting the way they mold the product, or like you said, color and texture are a big deal. It says some experts say, say that the visual cues from food makers they're using to suggest the products are wholesome, uh, but unfortunately that can, that can fuel confusion about what's natural and what isn't. It says Wendy's, for example, softens the edges of their famously square hamburger patties now. This is the kind of stuff that if you're not actually told this, 
I'm not sure you would catch whiff of it, you know? It says Hillshire Brands, which makes, of course, like lunch meats and sausages and stuff. Um, they're very attuned to this fact. And apparently at an industry conference, conference this February, CEO Sean Connolly noted um, that they wanted their uh, lunch meats and their meats to look like turkey, for example, to look a little bit grainier. And then it says, revamping its turkey slices, for example, one of the cosmetic touch-ups of the company was darkening the edges of the meat with caramel coloring to give the impression that it was just sliced from a Thanksgiving roast. So, I don't know. Um, I guess, don't judge a book by its cover. It could, it could be just as processed as ever, you know. Um, like, for example, you have to be careful with the chicken breast you buy. Some are brined, and they're heavily salted, soaked, you know, in, in the brine solution. Some aren't. Um, so, anyway, can't trust those marketers, I tell you. Yeah, I mean, I'd even say they're more processed. They're, they added an extra process to make them appear unprocessed. Right. They make them look <laughs> falsely grainy or, yeah, brown around the edges. I, I, I don't they take the regular process thing and process it more to make it appear unprocessed. Well, I think one of the funny things about that article is that it doesn't necessarily point fingers that that seems dishonest. To me, that seems dishonest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, okay. Anyway, so that's a little bit from time. And here's one just from our listener uh, group here, an uh, email I got from Andrew. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Uh, basically, he had a client that was interested in uh, post-exercise dextrose consumption. And he said he read some stuff on bodybuilding.com and whatnot. And you know he's never really seen anything credible about this. And is it bunk? And I just basically replied, well, first of all, dextrose, as he probably knows, is just glucose, right? It's half of table sugar. Table sugar is a disaccharide. It's a double sugar. It's sucrose. And half of that molecule is a glucose. Half of it is fructose. Um, So in some ways, I think dextrose is probably better than table sugar because it doesn't have the fructose. And there are some real problems with fructose, the way you metabolize it. Um, It has a very high glycemic index. You know, it's very speedy, rushes into your blood. Um, I think he and I came to the conclusion, no, it's not a magic bullet, you know, but I can see that if you wanted to replenish muscle glycogen quickly after a workout and not necessarily replenish your liver with glycogen or create more body fat or consume the the fructose, yeah, dextrose, you know, or straight glucose powder or whatever, it could be good. I think it's one of those fine-tuning kinds of things. I, I still tend to just do stuff like as simple as, as it is, eat a bowl of sugary kid's cereal. Like if I feel depleted, I'll just do something like that. Is it ideal? No. I mean, glucose or dextrose might be a little more ideal, but, you know whatever (laughs) so (laughs) the enjoyment factor helps uh yeah no that's right that's exactly right i mean i want i like to have fun with my sugar so yeah come home and have some popsicles or like sugary kid cereal or uh, anabolic brownies or something anyway but you said um you had one shout out didn't you yeah i just wanted to give the congratulations to um you know my coach i brought on here recently him and his wife are getting married today I'm um, Justin Johnson and Rachel Hensley. I'm the best man in the wedding, so I got to go to that right after this. I just want to tell them congratulations. Awesome, congrats. Married life. Yeah, we get it. We get to don our kilts for the wedding, so it's pretty awesome. Oh, really? Yes, nice. Yeah. I like that. Oh. Actually, one more thing before we move on to our topic. I've been promising people the 
brief recipe, and I, I know a lot more people listen to the show than are just on our Facebook page, for example. So this is a easier way to do this. And the the recipe basically for anabolic brownies is um, not Dianabol chips, <laughs> like somebody <laughs> mentioned on our Facebook page. Um, it's really straightforward. You just get a ten or twelve ounce package of the cheapest brownie mix you can find. And again, these are these are treats that happen to support muscle protein synthesis. It's not like I would be dieting on these, probably even if I added oat bran and whatnot. Now, I will say this. Be careful getting the brownie packages that are low sugar in the grocery store because they usually are chock full of sugar alcohols, which can really tear you up uh, gastrically. Um, uh, A lot of people don't realize sorbitol, one of the key uh, sugar alcohols, yes, they don't swing your blood sugar as much, but that's actually used as a laxative in clinical settings. So... (laughs) Anyway, so I basically take a 10 or 12 ounce package of cheap brownie mix. You put in two scoops of your favorite. I like vanilla flavored protein. Um, And we've talked about before, I I use the BioTest stuff because that's what I have on hand. But any good tasting vanilla protein, two scoops there, four scoops of leucine or some kind of leucine peptides. do the dry mix. Mix the dry ingredients before you add a little bit of water. But uh, once I dry mix it, because the leucine can be very um, almost vaporous, so you get it mixed up nicely with the dry. And then you don't need egg because you just put a ton of protein in it. Um, two two to four tablespoons of some kind of healthy oil, uh, you know, olive or canola oil, and uh, enough water to make it a nice thick batter. So you might be talking about a half cup-ish of water. But you want the batter to be pretty thick because otherwise if you make it too thin, it's going to blow up like cake. But that's it. So you basically just throw it in. And like I said, these recipes are so forgiving. So uh, it's like a dollar for the brownie mix. Uh, obviously, you have to figure out how much the two scoops of protein cost and the and the four scoops of leucine powder cost. But um, – that's what gives you the nutrition information that we have on our Facebook page. So I, I think it's good for recovery. Like I said, if you feel depleted, you need some carbs and sugar, but you want to get the right amount of protein. And I honestly think this would be something that it would be fantastic to do as a charity thing with a food bank, for example. One of the first things my son noted was he said, you know, Dad, if each one of these has like, it's only got like eight or nine grams of protein, but the addition of the leucine makes it the equivalent of a maximal protein dose, you know, as far as sparing lean tissue and whatnot. Imagine people who don't get enough to eat. They could actually have a couple of these brownies during the day, and it's almost like having a full meal when it comes to muscle preservation, you know? So that's a completely different outlook on this kind of thing, but one that I think is very cool. You could actually feed the hungry in a sense. And, um, you know, preserve their lean tissue, which is obviously what you're trying not to lose when when people start to waste away. Could be a cool alternative thing. I'm actually going to look into it. So, you know, one more lesson you can take from bodybuilding, I think, or the way powerlifters eat. You know, we know what we're doing with this kind of stuff. So, Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know it's early. Let's go to break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the essence of muscle sports. Uh, as far as technology, and I've got some key questions for Phil, and we'll get into it.
Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lonman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, we're back. Today's topic is sort of the essence. What is the essence of muscle sports? Uh, and let me share a quick story. I had an old roommate, and he and I would argue whether or not uh, anabolics, drugs, were the essence of bodybuilding, for example. And I would say, no, it's not. No matter how much it, it intertwines with the sport or supports it, it's not ultimately what creates it. It's not what it's about. And then he would have the counter argument. And I can see his point that, well, without them, you can't compete uh, in open competitions on a very high level. You know, you certainly aren't going to be on the Mr. Olympia stage. And so if drugs allow it, then they must be the essence. They're the reason for it. And you can see the differences in philosophy here. So people on the podcast have heard me say before that technology, I felt like is ruining um, physical culture in a way, uh, meaning mostly uh, drugs, but also gear. You know, again, these are all ergogenic aids, right? Some are nutritional, some are pharmaceutical, some are physical. I mean, there is such thing as a physical ergogenic aid. So, um, I guess my one of my questions for you, Phil, is how do you 
I think a lot of listeners know, but how do you address technology? How do you stay true to what got you interested in lifting in the first place? I, I mean, I, the training I do is pretty basic. So, I mean, it's just, I, it's not that I won't try new stuff, but there's not a lot of technology I mess with. It, I'm very barbell-based, I guess, you know, is one thing, just because I know it works, and I haven't seen much that works better. Um, so I don't waste a lot of time with, with the other stuff. But, I mean, I think there's a place for it. I, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that is going to put somebody down for using a leg press and stuff like that. I think it's a great assistance move, mm-hmm. you know, um, and things like that. And as far as, I don't know, you want to talk the drug thing always comes up, and I really like Dave Tate's take on it. Um, there was a talk of his where, you know, he's talking about football players. And no matter what, with or without the drugs, the guys who were going to be in the NFL were going to be there anyways. Um, there is a huge genetic factor and <laughs> to it. Um, I've heard other I mean, people say that, too, yes. And that makes a lot of sense to me, right? The same people are going to be on top. I think, was it Platts? Yeah. Might have been yeah. Platts said that. And, you know, he equated it to pulling your ace card. He's like, you know, if you have to pull out your ace card in high school to make it on a NCAA team, you're probably not going to make the NFL. You know, if you have to pull it out in college to get drafted, you know, <laughs> you're not going to last long. But if you pull it out, you know, you're in the NFL and you pull it out to get another five years on your career and make $2 million a year, that's probably a good reason to pull it out, you know. Yeah. But but regardless, those same guys were going to be there anyways. Um, I think that's true. Football. That's true in football. Um, when Platt said it, though, it made me wonder because, honestly, I think a lot of the top guys in bodybuilding have a, a little bit of an ectomorphic thing going. I think so, too. And, and the... I'm not sure they'd be the same ones. I think you might see the more thicker waist, thicker everywhere guys, you know, that had the muscle mass. And then unless a guy came along like a Zane who could become muscular and, and, you know, is very artistic and proportionate, those guys... Yeah, that's not going to happen now. It's a totally different kind of build. It's true. And that's what's always hard. I think it was hard to judge that. It's almost like you need somebody with that kind of charisma to come along and say, hey, you can be great like this, too. Yeah. And And that's, no, I think you're right, though, on the bodybuilding side, because usually, like you said, the the top bodybuilders were very ectomorphic. And for some reason, I don't know if there's science, I, I don't know of any yet that has looked into it, but they respond very well to drugs. They're those guys that you see and they're like, ah, I start taking a little D ball, and they're like 60 pounds heavier. In a short amount of hey, time. Hey, that's a good point. They're, holy they, crap. Yeah, they respond. <laughs> yeah, they holy crap respond. But also their yeah. joints are so small that it makes them look like balloon animals. Yeah. You know, whereas the really heavily built guys, like I've actually seen a guy in a grocery store, let's say, or walking around, like that guy's really jacked. And I think he's just yeah. naturally like that. But they tend yeah. to be thick joints, thick neck, big all yeah. over, and not quite the same thing as what you see with the – you know, the flex wheeler, like, super dramatic yeah. type, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and I don't know. It's, it's. I suppose it's a, a little easier for me to stay with my roots because, you know, I, I run my facility now, and I'm trying to bring that to other people. And uh, uh, so I'm not led astray very often anymore. And I know I, I've been at it long enough. I know how to spot, you know, the, the real stuff from the bad stuff, you know, yeah. a bit more. And I'm not saying I don't, I, I, I still read a lot and I try things, but 
There's a lot of things I don't try because it's you know you can just tell it's a marketing gimmick right from the start. Yeah. Well, I can say one thing that when I first started kind of dwelling on this, I thought about your uh, your new federation. You know, yeah. you're actually you're allowing a certain amount of technology, like in your equipped right, which is just belt and knee wraps. Yeah. Right? Or just eschew it completely, keep away from it completely, and just go man versus bar. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good way to address that. You're not you know, you're not just condemning people. Now let me ask you this. What's your what's your take on people who use heavy gear? We've talked about this before, but as far as equipment goes, I mean, do you lose a certain amount of respect for somebody with a monster squat because they're using, you know, suits and that sort of thing? I I I'm so close friends with a lot of people that use multiply gear. That I don't. I just view them as two different sports. Yeah. I mean, now, if some guy's squatting 700, and he's doing it in multiplying, he's a 275-er, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to lose respect. You know, it's yeah. like, dude, okay, I'm doing that with nothing. So, you know, quit bragging. Yeah. You know, or if you're one of those guys, you're squatting 700 in a suit, and your best raw squat's 405, and you're a grown man, it's like, uh, come on. You know, uh, so, yeah, I mean, there can be some of that, but not at the top. You know, the top guys in it, they're freaking strong. You it's know, not they, like they're bean poles in uh, ridiculous no. gear. They're huge guys in gear. Exactly. You take them out of gear, and, you know, the only, the usually, and it's getting a little less, normally you can spot somebody that's really dependent on their gear because they got a horrible deadlift. You know, they'll squat 900 and pull, like, five. Oh, that's interesting. Like, something's wrong there. And because there's, you don't get as much carryover on the deadlift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, you've got to be able to get down to the bar. Now, forgive getting, my ignorance here, but there are deadlift suits now. Yeah, but you don't get as and they're they're getting a little better at them from what I'm hearing. They, they're getting a little more out of them, but not. You still don't get what you do in a squat suit because you can't. You don't have that component where you're you're putting a thousand pound bar on your back, and then that scoot, suit is getting tighter and tighter and tighter as the thousand pounds pushes you down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I somehow have to be able to get down to that bar. Yeah, and if my suit's too tight, I just can't get them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, you know, everything I heard, it's like 50 to 75 pounds um, out of your suit. Mm-hmm. One of the things so about just, uh, equipment as an ergogenic aid, most people don't think about physical ergogenic aids, but sometimes in sports they have to put the kibosh on that. Do you remember the slap skates in the Olympics yeah. a couple of years ago? They're like, okay, that's too much of an advantage. No, yeah. that's out. And that's kind of like what yeah. you're doing, I think, in a way. It's like there's a slippery slope that has no end, presumably, with yeah. – Full gear, multiply, and you know, even compared to drugs, drugs aren't going to put that kind of um, no. improvement in performance on you overnight, you know, no. or let's say over just a, a few weeks of practicing with the gear. You know, physical exactly. gear has a very dramatic and potentially damaging impact. I think. Yes. You know? And I just, I just totally view it as two different sports. They are not alike, and the training form is is totally different. That's a good outlook. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. Well, I actually look at um, open bodybuilding versus natural bodybuilding as two different sports, too. I mean, mm-hmm. the way that the guys train, you know, and I think the mistake over the years, the kind of things that we've bitched about, if we just were positive about this, a lot of the guys on the covers of magazines saying, oh, look, I do 25 sets for chest and this and that. And, of course, you know, the the 18-year-old kid comes along and he does that and he's just, he's not, he's ruining himself and he's not growing and he's wondering why, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, he just needs to understand that it's a different sport, 
you know, uh, those guys, uh, they diet differently. You know, you hear gurus on the Internet, for example, they'll say, oh, do 30 fasted cardio sessions before breakfast and, and you should be ready to compete. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> not, not, if, not if you're a light user or if you're a natural guy. That's not going to do it for you. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, you know. Uh, and you can kind of see that, too, at, at competition, just like you can see people who are relying on gear. When yep. I'm at uh, regional level competitions, you can see guys who are leaning way too hard on the drugs. They they just don't have the God-given shape to do this, you know, or the, the skin condition quality or, you know, the leanness or whatever. Um, and they're leaning real heavy on what they're dabbling with, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, and then you you never know. I mean... There's always a chance in competitions like that somebody comes in who's five four, light heavyweight, you know, and he just crushes everybody because he's he's not a light user, he's not off, um, yeah. he's on all kinds of stuff, and that's the risk, of course, in open competitions is there's different levels. There's a the playing field is all over. I don't I don't know what the equivalent. I'm trying to build, I guess, parallels between equipment and juice in a way that. You know, but there's got to be some kind of uh, equalizing factor. See, I think, yeah, and there, you know, I think that's a tough one. I mean, I think, like you said, there's not, like, I couldn't give myself a shot today and add 400 pounds of my yes, squat by next right. week. But I could potentially go get the new Leviathan, blah, 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 and get in that thing and hopefully learn how to sit into it correctly and, and do that. Yeah. You know, and you know what, too, Phil? I mean, once uh, I remember I was uh, hanging around with a bunch of bodybuilders, and this one older lady came up, and she's pointing at him. And she's like, that's not real. You guys aren't real. I'm like, that's living tissue, lady. You know, that's real. Uh, yeah. Whereas what you're talking about is literally not even you. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Now, and again, that's where you talk about some of these bodybuilders. I just consider it full-on cheating when they do stuff like they're injecting silicon and synthol and all this yeah. stuff into your muscles. I'm like, that's not going to improve your lifts. It looks stupid. You know, it, yeah. it's not even living, breathing, you know, tissue. Yeah. And so, so there's a difference there, I think, too. With some of these physical ergogenic aids, it's not even you, yeah. you know, in a way. But And that's, you know, I mean, but I mean, I'm in general, I'm a... I'm pretty accepting of all the different things, and it's you know that's uh, that's the reason why there's you know uh, totally drug free federations and this and that and, and and I don't you know drug free and then there's ones that allow anything and my only beef is if the if the somebody that's heavily using goes and enters drug free it's like why the hell are you doing yes I agree a hundred percent you have an arena to compete in. Yep. So why even do that? No, that's a real you know? coward, I would think, that I'm going to yes. enter a natural show, even if you're dabbling with anything at all. It's like, yeah. compete in open. There are open divisions in strength sports, exactly. you know, muscle sports. Yeah, so it's like, why even do that? That's the only thing, as far as that, that pisses me off. Yeah. Um, you know, I have no hate for, you know, I like I said, I have plenty of friends that are multiply. You know, Jesse Burdick, Mark Bell, all of them, they're, they're multiply lifters. And it, it's what they're into. And it's a, it's just a different sport. Um, and you've got to train it differently. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I couldn't throw on a freaking squat suit right now and go out there and add 300 pounds of my squat because there is some learning of it. Right. You yeah. know, and I also, you know, potentially I'd have to at least be able to lock out a thousand pound squat. You know, <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and just the, the mental, I don't care who you are or what you're doing. If you can put a thousand pounds on your back, 
that's you're fucking strong. Sorry, sorry yeah. from no, my, well, it, hey, just, <laughs> you know, you just are. Yeah. Um, and that takes you know, it takes some mental fortitude to do that. And I don't care what you're wearing. Even if there's a limited oh. range of motion, like I am more oh, impressed yeah. by a deep squat than some of the, yeah. some of what I see. Once you start getting up around nine hundred thousand pound squats, some of those start looking not the same to me anymore. You yeah. know, with the range of motion and yeah. stuff. But like you said, what what I even I, I couldn't even walk out with that. I'd be stapled to the yeah, ground. <laughs> exactly. So, so um, um, one of the other things that I wanted to mention was, and this sort of just occurred to me today, but um, I think in some ways, as far as technology and the progression of performance and whatnot, I think um, powerlifting is less limited in a lot of ways than bodybuilding. And here's my analogy, and people may disagree. If you do, you can post on our Facebook page, but... I think, for example, 10 years down the road, maybe less, a 1,200 or a 1,500-pound squat is always going to be better, quote-unquote, than a 1,000-pound squat. You know, So you can always move more weight. But in bodybuilding, I think we're up against a ceiling, to be honest, because I'm not sure the same thing holds. For example, I don't think a 5'10", 400-pound ripped guy on the Mr. Olympia stage is going to look better than today's current, you know, 275 or 300 pound ripped Mr. Olympia competitors. Because at some point, you just start looking stupid. I mean, I put a picture on our Facebook page months ago, Phil Heath's arm from the side. It looks photoshopped. It's not. I think he is right up against any bigger, and you're ruined. It's almost like the quest for size is over, you know, in that way. No, I think you're right there. I mean, uh, the the only potential way you could go with bigger people is if, you know, you started moving to guys that were like 6'5 and 400. Yeah. You know, and just making behemoths. And even then, you lose something, like Rob talked about. Usually, they don't have the the sculpted, perfectly proportioned look that the 5'10 guys have. but yes, I hear you. I mean, like some of those strongman competitors, I remember they were talking about the little guy who was only, I think he was 275. And I'm like, yeah. little? But yeah. relative to the 450-pound behemoth. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. No, I think you're right there, though. I mean, and that's that also goes into the, the realm of, you know, powerlifting and strength sports are more, they're tangible. They're not... Um, I'm, I'm losing my word that I always pull out on this. It's uh, they're less subjective, you know. There's that subjectivity in bodybuilding, yeah. And there's not a thousand pounds is always a thousand pounds, right? And parallel, it should be always parallel, but it's not. Sadly, I would love um, to be able to reset some of that subjectivity to almost the Zane and Labrada era, you know. But yeah. it's 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 like escalation in warfare. There's always bigger and bigger guns. And yep. literally in bodybuilding, same thing, right? You have to have bigger yeah. and bigger guns. Someone like Frank Zane, I think it's a shame that you don't, you can't see a physique like that step on the Olympia stage. I know they're trying yeah. to address that a little bit with these lighter weight classes, yeah. um, even at the Olympia level. And I think they know that, right? The writing is on the wall that technology, in this case in the form of drugs, because let's face it, supplement technology won't do this, not to such an extent. Yeah. Just leaves these guys. We're leading down this road of escalation near what I would call the nuclear bomb level, where escalating beyond that is yeah. just stupid, and you have to start to limit it. And I don't know. Maybe it's a case where they need to add more more weight classes. You know, why not take the weight classes from powerlifting? I mean, and then you know, if you had a 198 weight class, 
You know? Yeah. I, no matter how much shit they're on, they got to make that weight. You you're right. You're just gonna, still gonna be pounds. There's just going to have to be, you know, two through five or six weight classes. Then, yeah. then there's always going to be the argument: who is the best in the world? Yes. Well, hey, in bodybuilding shows, there's an overall victor. It's usually the light heavy or the heavy. But hey, you know what I mean? They could still figure out who was the number one. Yeah, and that's where I'd be a little more, you know. And, and we got the Wilkes formula and stuff like that in powerlifting that works it out for us across. Oh, weight right. Yep. Yep. And you can't, you know, you're talking bringing that back to total sub. But we've got numbers to work with. Yeah. And strengths, we don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are some uh, quasi numerical things that come into play here, partly quantitative, like how much do you weigh in your weight class? You know, like for example, in the light heavies, if I'm five nine one ninety eight, and somebody else is five six one ninety eight in the same condition, yeah. Arguably, he's got more mass. I would expect the judges to give him a, a bit of a nod. But yeah, like you said, then there's the subjectivity of, yeah, but do you like his shape better, you know, and that kind Yeah, of exactly. I don't know. We're in the, you know, I'm from an art background, and it'd be interesting. Maybe, you know, they bring the computer into it. You know, you go back and study, like, the Greek. They had exact. Oh, yeah. They had exact numbers. Yeah, ideals. Of, yeah. Ideals. A nose is this far. Arms are this long. This big. Blah, blah, you know, maybe they could create some kind of freaking program, and everybody's judged off that. Depending on their weight classes. Yeah, you know, or it, like, at least as part of the formula. Yeah. Yeah. Who fits into that mold the best? Yeah. I remember hearing about the, the Greek ideal. It, it had something to do with your calves are the same um, girth as your upper arm and your yeah. neck. Yeah. Or something like that. And the length of your arm is the same as the length of your, I think, torso and blah, blah, blah. You know. Right. Uh, yeah, or like what it should be. hard like, to do. You would know this better than I, but like in art, isn't the human body supposed to be seven heads tall? Yeah, uh, something like that. Exactly, and things like that. But then you, then you, who knows? God, what will we open to a, open a curtain to then? Or you know, people are going to start shortening limbs and like you know, trying to fit the ideal. Yeah, I've actually <laughs> wondered. I mean, some of these guys that undergo surgical implants, yeah. who's to say they wouldn't do something like shave some of the width off their pelvis, you yeah, know, exactly. and sort of go the other way? It's it starts becoming very creepy. I think. Yeah. Hey, you made a comment, though, before we started recording that I thought was good, which was, um, and again, I don't want to be too pro-powerlifting. I mean, I love the art of bodybuilding. I like yeah. that it's an art. I like that art is partly subjective. Like, nobody wants to turn um, Renaissance famous artists, like, look at something from Michelangelo and boil it down to numbers only. I think there should be an analog oh. component to this stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, but having said that, you mentioned that powerlifting is a little bit more... Uh, accessible to everybody, and I yeah, and I think like, that's partly true too. Now, how that weaves in with technology is a little bit of a different story, but maybe talk about that. Yeah, it was a neat conversation I was having. You know, one of my people that joined here recently was an ex bodybuilder, and when he was in his prime, he was like three hundred pounds and low body fat percentage, um, big dude, and took about a ten year break, and now he's getting in. Now he's doing strike sports with us, and he's like, you know, the big difference is. Uh, no matter what, he didn't have the right build to be a top bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. Whereas in powerlifting and strength sports, it's like that's not as big of a deal. It's, you know, if you put in your time, you can still be strong. You'll be good at something at least. Yeah, you can be good at it. Well, cause, because let, well, you just put in the time to get strong. Whereas no matter the time he put in, he, he would never have the ideal body. Right. I um, see that all the time in the gym. I see guys that are big. But they're never going to be 
they're never going to go where they think they're going to go. Some of the cocky guys, because I'm like, you know, you you have an awkward proportion. You know, yeah. it's simply not going to be for you. Now, what yeah. I was going to say with you is what you just said. He's going to be good at something. I do think um, body shape plays a big role with stuff like deadlift versus a good squatter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, but you're going to be good at something. One of the three big exactly. Three. Him in particular, he's going to be a good bencher and good squatter. Um, and his deadlift's tough for him. But I mean, you know, it's but he can still be good. You know, it's just a matter of putting in, you know, put in five, ten years. Right. You know, whereas five, ten years, no matter what, his body isn't his. He's not going to change his his natural structure will not change and make him a better body. Well, I, therein, I think, is where technology starts to interfere with some of this. And again, meaning not just you know drugs, supplements, everything, but is that in the old days, you could slap on more mass, and if you didn't have the shape, you could outmass somebody, even at the yeah. pro level. You know, like Arnold could, could outmass a, a, a Franco because he's a bigger guy or whatever. And with the advent, you know, what growth factors and, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. heavy, heavy anabolics and everything. Everybody is so big. I'm not sure anybody's outmassing the other guys on stage anymore. Yeah. It's not dramatically, well, you know. No, they're all just huge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Almost cookie cutters. I mean, even body flaws, like if somebody, their calves aren't quite big enough or their shoulders aren't quite wide enough. You Once you're 300 pounds ripped, you're almost mm-hmm. slapping on so much beef that a lot of that stuff becomes less less obvious. Those flaws, yeah. you know, you just slap. Well, on, the you weird thing, I mean, I think a neat thing is is you know we're seeing a day and age where the physique sports are are on a they're on a sharp decline, and they have been for a while. You know, bodybuilding is not near as popular as it was. Yep, and you know most of them aren't, and then the strength sports are on their way back up. I think that's uh, interesting, don't you? I've thought about that, too, yeah. and I think it's because of that accessibility. Uh, like yeah. we said, it's it's less genetically selective. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a certain genes for where your tendons insert and how yeah. strong you are and all that, sure. Um, but it's it's more accessible in that it's you don't have to go through six months of abusive self-denial and that sort of thing. It's a little bit less... Um, well, and for a while there, it was on a, a big decline because it was... All you saw was just unequipped or super multiply equipped stuff. It was all that was out there. And now there's this huge resurgence in raw lifting, and with that has brought on more and more and more and more people. Um, it's a lot more accessible. You know, I don't have to go out and spend a thousand dollars on a suit, yeah, shirts and this and that. You know, I I can go out with just a belt or no belt even and just do it. It makes sense. It's like I said, it's, it's at least considering. Removing a certain amount of technology just because you yeah. can wear a multi ply suit doesn't mean you will. Yes, and I think it's the same thing with there is some growth in natural bodybuilding. I would have never guessed that. I mean, in the eighties and nineties, I really didn't care for a lot of the natural bodybuilding leagues that were out because they seemed very preachy. You know, like yeah. you can be just as big uh, as those pro guys. It just takes a little longer. You have to work harder. Yeah. Well, as a physiologist, I'm telling you that's false. You can, <laughs> you cannot be that big, no matter yeah. how just because you want it more, or you work harder, or eat better, or eat yeah. more. No, that's that. You know, that's not correct. And so I thought a lot of it was built on false hope. But some of the improvements I think in nutrition, uh, maybe just selecting from a different genetic pool. Um, Whatever there may be uh, something similar happening in I think in professional natural bodybuilding that we're talking about with powerlifting is that when you remove you say okay technology can potentially ruin this let's limit 
you know, how yeah. we use that technology. Yeah. At least cre- create leagues that are one over the other yeah. and open that accessibility. Because you're right, if people if people can't participate in it themselves, that was a, always the appeal to me with strength sports or like bodybuilding is uh, I could do that myself. I don't have to watch guys yes. on TV playing football. I'll never be a, an NFL player. Yeah, you and know. you don't have to try and put it together a team. It's you. Right. You know? Yes, it's individual, right. Oh, yep. So, yes, no, and that, that's one of the beautiful things about both the sports, and it's it's also very, I think that keeps a lot of people out of it, too. Um, you got to be self-confident in, in certain ways, because it is, at, at the end of the day, even if you're, you know, I have had great training partners. End of the day, when I walk on that platform, it's me, and that's it. Yep. You know, there's nobody helping me out. It's me in the bar. And so, I mean, you've got to have, you know, and I think that's, or you're going to gain self-confidence. That's true. The so whole physical culture thing, whether it's bodybuilding yeah. or strongman, I mean, if you're about to perform, and make make no mistake, it takes a lot of guts to get on stage, you yes. know, in bodybuilding, too, a lot of guts. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's a, that's a great point. You don't have to organize an entire team yeah. in order to do it. You, and you can, that means you could do it as a grown-up. It's not just something you, you do in school or college and then you stop. And that's one of the areas where I, I I do like some of the, you know, you start getting into submasters and masters and things like that. Um, I think it's abused in some federations, and you know, mine doesn't even have it, um, because I'll see a lot of people that are those like submasters and early masters. In my opinion, are for people. If I have somebody that started at thirty four and they're now thirty five, great, they can be a submaster. If you started at fifteen. And now you're 35. You should still be getting stronger. Oh, amen, brother. Yes, you should be an open. Absolutely. You know? Even um, even you know, 40 year olds, I think exactly. should, they should be in maybe just do both. Like I knew a lot of bodybuilding competitions where we would do both. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my problem with it is most of the people that entered like the submasters, masters, and powerlifting at least, they were just entering that to collect another trophy. And it's like let the guys that just freaking started have a chance to be against each other. In that category, you've been doing this twenty years. You're strong enough to compete with us open guys. Yeah. Well, see now, I, that's that's mm. true at thirty five for sure, or late yeah. thirty. Yeah. But once you're in your forties, I think then the tables do turn a little. And yeah. You it's nice to compete against right guys your age, but then say, can I place against the younger guys? I want to see. You know, yeah. it's it becomes a little different. But I agree. Sometimes this submasters category, I'm not even sure that should exist. Yes, and that's yeah, that's the one. I I don't I don't totally agree with it for sure. It is a good um, point you said though, because for the longest time I said, listen, thirty five masters, because you'll see that in bodybuilding, yeah. shouldn't even exist. But you have a good no. point. If somebody started at thirty in their early thirties, yes. and it's their very first time, okay, you don't have decades of experience, so yep. you know may, maybe. Uh, yeah, it gives you a group to compete against, and that's where I think those kind of belong in there. It gives the you know, it, I think it's awesome for people to start in their 30s, you know, and it gives them a place to compete. But, I mean, I'm also the mindset, just come on in with the open guys. It's not like we're going to – of course, you're, you're have to know you're not going to win. But that's – you know, in the end, that shouldn't be what it's all about is getting the number one trophy. It's going in there and doing better than you could do. Right. You know, if you look at it that way, if you have a mature mindset and you're looking at it that way, hey, I'm, hey, I'm on the same platform as these guys. Makes you feel good, you know. Yeah. So. We had Marty or somebody on in months past, and he said, I'm, you know – yes, I can't squat 800 pounds anymore. I know some older guys that are my buddies that um, 
they don't they don't even want to do it anymore if they can't squat yeah. that much. But he said, you know, I can't do that. But he said, compared to other men my age, I'm King Kong. And exactly. I thought that was funny. And I do think that's where you could compete in both. A lot of it depends on your uh, your motivation, I guess. Yep. You know, your intent. Like I said, instead of just picking up another trophy, it's like, how good am I in open? Because open doesn't just mean young. That means yep. everybody. Yep. And so it's very tempting to do the open, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's to me. That's the category. Yeah. You know, if you want to test yourself, go there. You know, yeah. other than that, in, in most cases, unless you're freaking sixty-five and you're competing against the sixty-five, seventy-year-olds and on up, you know, it's you're testing yourself then. Yeah. I. What do I got? I'm going to go up against the best of the best. I agree. There, there is an age. There's that tipping point. It's really hard to nail down where that is. And I think it's higher in powerlifting. I think it's much higher in strength sports than it is in in physique. Well, yeah, no, because in I, physique I was, you get your skin loses quality, you start getting wrinkly yeah. and saggy, even if you're lean. And that's I've seen some guys at the gym that were sort of masters level, and I'm like, I, I don't want that for myself. I don't want to compete past my forties, you know? Yeah, because you just where, can't. <laughs> yeah, where you can just keep getting stronger. You can. You got to get your training changes, but there's plenty of guys that are in their forties and they're still they're stronger than they were when they were twenty. Yeah. On their way up. Hey, you know, I want to qualify. Uh, let me qualify what I just said. There's nothing wrong with guys competing in their 50s, I think, in bodybuilding. It's just that's where you pretty much – you're just going to have less of a, of a chance in open yeah. uh, unless you're really leaning on the technology hard. You know what I'm talking about, like drugs and yeah. stuff. But you're right. When I first saw professional powerlifters, I saw Eddie Cohn at the Mountaineer Cup, and there were some guys from Russia, and I think they were 55. They were in their 50s. Yeah. Squat 900 pounds, and I was yep. impressed. I was blown away. You know what I mean? These guys were like, um, you know, I mean, it was obviously those guys aren't all natural, but they, they were like role models as far as men. You know, these guys yeah. were just pure, pure man. Yeah. They were strong. Yeah. They were impressive. And yep. uh, the fact that they were in their 50s meant no, never mind to them. You yeah. know, they were there on pure, open, professional, all comers. And yeah. it was cool. For sure. So. Anyway. Okay. Well, I know we're uh, a little short today, but um, I just thought that... Yeah, I mean, I think the resounding theme is just, you know, it's not... I'm not... And I, I, I like this about you. Is you're not... There's good in technology. And nobody should deny that, because there's a big push now that all technology is bad. Anything new is bad, bad. It's not. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of new things that, that are great. And they're they're adding to our longevity and adding to you know training and this and that and uh, there is a different level of performance. Like when you talk about drug technology, uh, you know, like we are mentioning um, several weeks ago, like Lane Norton was making some comments yeah. to Dorian Yates. Oh, I've com- I've got a com- impressive you know competitive history too. Like, oh boy, that is those are two very yeah. different things. Yeah, you know, because it, even though he has a great physique. Go look at some of those videos from Dorian in his prime. Oh my yeah. God! I don't. Yeah. I just don't want to have a natural guy say, "Oh, I'm as I was that good." No, yeah. no, you're not. Or like somebody yeah. natural going to say, "I'm like Eddie Cohn." No, there was only one Ed yeah. Cohn, yeah. and that's not about you know focusing only on natural zero technology kinds of stuff. Yeah, you know, it's like you said, different. Sports, and I think that's a healthy way to look at it. They're just different. It's inevitable. Hey, I've had a lot of friends over the years or fellow competitors in open competitions, whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, 
and uh, I was super impressed with their build or their strength, regardless of what they were doing to achieve that, to be yeah, honest. Exactly. Now, some people might disagree with that, but like you said, I always just looked at it as, well, I'm not making those same choices, but let's face it, a 1,000-pound squat is a 1,000-pound squat. I mean, damn. I can tell you this. Most of those people that I know that have that mindset have never been around those people. Because they think it's just a cop-out, you know, and that, oh, they just took that, and all of a sudden, they're squatting right. thousand pounds. Right. No. And Dorian didn't take a couple things and get that freaking huge. No, that's right. His butt off, you know, and that's the thing that people don't understand. They think it's this big ace card where, you know, within three months, they turned into Mr. Olympia. Exactly. Or, in, you know, in a few months, you know, Cohen was squatting a 1,000 and deadlifting 930 at 198 pounds. No. Right. That was his whole you know, life. They put in more work. Yeah. Than anybody was willing to. Yes. You know, it's what they did. And that's, yeah, and the technology stuff, it's inevitable. It, it's not going anywhere. And you just got to, I think the only way to look at it is that it's okay. It's just, like you said, it's, it's more than I'm willing to do. And it's a different sport. And you yeah. can, you know, you can enjoy it for that. Yeah, that's the summary. I, that's, that's perfect. It's more than yeah. I'm willing to do. And it's just a different sport. But I'm still impressed by you. you know, Hell yeah. Made different tools. <laughs> so, yeah. so. Good times. I'm going to go to a wedding now and uh, enjoy myself completely. So, Hey, nothing wrong with that. Nope. Until next week, everybody, have a good Take one. Take care. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters – the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I've done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. 
if you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.